0: back, everyone, to another episode of No Easy Answers, a Marxist podcast about politics, philosophy, and the human condition. I am here with the esteemed uh, Dr. Richard Barbrook, and he is the author of an essay that he wrote back in the 90s called The Californian Ideology. And uh, this is an essay that... I read a few years back and was astonished at the publication date at the sort of accuracy of the predictions and analysis that was laid forth in this essay. And um, so I it, it's been coming to mind more and more lately as I've, for some reason, been stewing on the sort of techno-utopianism of the 90s lately. Um, I don't know if I'm like, you know, 20 years, 25 years late mourning the loss of this sort of 90s optimism uh, but my mind has been drifting in that direction lately, thinking of kind of like how the, the world that I was born in uh, no longer exists sort of thing, you know. Um, so, uh, Dr. Barbrook, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us and hanging out and talking to me about this stuff. Um, and I wanted to ask you to sort of start by setting the scene uh, of what the sort of political climate was like at the time when you decided to write this piece. Um, because in my mind, you know, uh, all the kids were graduating at this time and everyone was going to go develop websites and have a job forever. Cause that was like an insatiable market where everyone had to pursue, uh, STEM courses were given a primacy over like, you know, humanities and liberal arts. And, uh, I mean, at this time, I think cops was like in its first few series and America's home videos was like Bob Saget was still hosting that. And there was this real, sort of wind our back sort of optimism of that, like technology was going to save us all. But, you know, the nineties, man, it's like I've been drifting back to this techno utopianism. And so when were you born? I was born in 83 and I was graduating oh. from high school in 2002. Right. So I was a junior around the time nine 11 happened and interrupted this sort of a right. new American century, you know? And, um, you know, but I, but I was thinking back to this time and, and, and you know, I remember watching the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, on television yeah. when I was a kid and then, uh, you know, thinking that, like, everyone was in a college and everyone was going to develop websites and everyone was going to be a coder. And uh, And, you know, Fukuyama's end of, you know, history is written around this time. The wind is at our back. And, and 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 it seemed like there was for liberals at least it was a really optimistic time. But I I'm curious as to well it was the peak it was the height of the American Empire. I mean it was.
1: You obviously America won the, the Second World War by coming out with fifty percent of the world's manufacturing. Mm-hmm. But but you know the, but it was I think the triumph in the Cold War was the key moment because it gave that sort of you know because the, the you know the brother the Soviet Union I see I'm an old generation so we grew up with the Soviet Union always being there as well and it was like the brother enemy wasn't it because the two empires basically propped each other up yeah but at the end of it America came out as of something and he Soul Empire, And he, as you say, it was the end of history, as Francis Fukuyama famously said. I actually went to see him speak in London, and somebody got up who knew Alexander Kojev, which he mm. ripped off a large of, and mm-hmm. pointed out that Kojev thought the European Union was the end of history. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he worked for an early iteration of the European Union. Right, right. Um, but but it, it wasn't like... In- it wasn't I, I, I could tell you that The key I think the key difference And I've known this Because I've been You know Wrote this 25 yeah. years ago with, also with, with Andy Cameron Is that we were in England You know And that's a real difference If you're mm. in Europe Um than if you're in America, because obviously we have a slightly ambiguous feeling about being inside the American Empire. Some yes. people get very enthusiastic about it. You know, they go to Washington, D.C. and see all the big buildings and the imperial architecture and the power of the country. And they just fall in love. Uh, one of them was my father. Um hmm who worked, it was in the Congress for Cultural Freedom and uh, was in on the right wing of the Labour Party, in the CIA-funded faction, uh, mm. a bit like the people who are in control of the Labour Party now. Uh, so there's that side, but there's other people who are, shall we say, more critical about it. And uh, I suppose we came out of that. I mean, my, the, my co-writer, Andy Cameron, had been in the Socialist Workers' Party, not the American version, but the Tony Cliff <laughs> version <laughs> in England. have uh, been very active in that. Um, we're still very left wing. Uh, I was involved. In, I was a situationist punk, as, as we were in right. late 1970s late and then became very involved in the Labour left in the 1980s. So both of us were, you know, Marxist or Trotskyist or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am I'm not and never have been a member of a totalitarian party, but, you know, we were Amelia the, the of the English left. Um and we wrote this uh because we were actually working at the, both at the University of Westminster and we were setting up an MA in hypermedia studies, which was like the first postgraduate course teaching uh how to, how you say how to make websites. Also C D ROM production. They are yes. blast from the past, yes. uh and you know, C and all these flash and all these other mm-hmm. software, and we we needed to write sort of manifesto for this course and what sort of spur sort of inspired us was particularly andy cameron that uh, always kept pointing out this is a strange thing that you get people who be english and uh, reading the guardian or whatever would never agreed to the privatization of the health service or public utilities and all the rest of it but as soon as it came to anything to do with the internet or computing they'd immediately become hardline neoliberals you know market will decide deregulation privatization all the usual mantras of thatcher who they claim to dislike and everything else and this was because they were reading wired magazine. Mm. and wired i mean it seems strange now this dead free publication was actually the bible of this new emerging because we had the same thing here i mean a friend of mine ava pasco set up the world's first cyber cafe in soho in london by accident actually she thought they were copying uh ones they saw in the bay area but actually they didn't realize it wasn't on the internet it was on a private network to to run uh, the well but so they just installed the computers and suck it on the internet and then discovered ironically that they were the first people to do that wow. in a public space which i think which i think is quite interesting that was sort of early 1990s and the, the people who hung around that were as i said you know it was, it was a small business you know coffee shop and courses on this wonderful new technology of the internet and famous people like david bowie turning up there and all the rest of it but they were both the people who you know when they did a survey of who all the early internet users were in england uh the guardian was their favorite paper by a huge amount and that's when the guardian i mean it's since been become very like liberal warmongering magazine newspaper but at the time it was it was the sort of left to center paper um and so that was really interesting. It wasn't the Daily Telegraph or the Times or any of these other right-wing newspapers. So that 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 so that it was that disjuncture between the neoliberal version of what the internet was what it was and what it actually was the internet because it was a mixed economy. Uh, And that's one of the key things we pointed out about computing, about California itself. You know, the state played a key role. 40 cents of every taxpayer's dollar in the defense budget went to California. I mean, all the key technologies came out of state funded research. And again, that was an interesting disjuncture that the whole Wired and all the people around it, the Nicholas Negra who's in MIT but media lab but was help funding it and all the people like the john perry barlow's and kevin kelly's and all the rest of it just just completely denied all this they they just treated it all heroic entrepreneurs and vcs and the rest of it and i we again that's something we just pointed out and then there were other things which they got really upset about like us pointing out that if they that they were talk, kept saying on about jeffersonian democracy which we thought was uh Ironically appropriate, shall you say. Right. Uh, Andy had just finished reading Gord Vidal's Burr, which is suitably caustic yeah, <laughs> about yeah. Jefferson as a slaver. I mean, what's interesting now is that actually that's probably the least controversial part of it. But at the time when we wrote it, uh, they, 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 they they the Wired crew went absolutely berserk. <laughs> What's yeah, like the Louis rosetto Louis de rosetto just both he was frothing at the mouth about us pointing out that Jefferson owned 400 human beings. I mean, because the problem is now, you know, you're now in the reverse, being typically American, you go from black to white, and then you can't do the bit in the middle. Uh, I say cynically, uh, and now it's the 1619 project, and he's only an evil slave owner who you know. Sex right. with a seven year old uh, whereas the whole point about we were trying to point out, that he was both. You know, he was both yeah. the great revolutionary and an evil slave yeah. at the same time. And, and, and I
0: think at the at the time when you wrote this, historians still had control over the narrative for for Jefferson. You know, it wasn't until like the well, uh, there was the, a, it was the, they were hard. losing it, but like yeah, yeah, like, yeah.
1: There's yeah. a great book, Wolf by the Ears, which is about his relationship with slavery. Uh, that I that I found. And that is just superb. That's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Just... And, and about the ambiguities. I mean, what's, I mean, what's also interesting when I was a child, a, uh, when I was about seven, eight, we went to Monticello and mm. I remember being really impressed by all these things like the dumb waiter and he had like a copy yeah. and, she, like, and all this Sort of stuff, And then they took us to the servants' quarters, which is only many years later I realised this was actually the slave quarters of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I assume now it's all been made much more, you know, woke, as they would say these days. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, the, as I said, it's interesting that that was the bit, which in a sense is the, now is the least controversial, which was the bit that they really picked on, that they really dislike, And also the stuff about, you know, the whole frontier myth that they used. Uh, yeah, again, it was it was really interesting. the uh, croakers, the one who wrote, um, who wrote about the virtual clock cl- class and they republished something I later wrote about John Perry Barlow's declaration of independence of cyberspace. And on the in that I put if this is the electronic fra- frontier, who are the Injuns, spelled I N J U N S as in mm. uh, the point out uh point out what it really means <laughs> and, yeah. and they change it to who are the cowboys or the outlaws now even worse the outlaws and i point out oh, again something that that was exactly what we were against is all this sort of outlaw myth of what what the how america was created you know
0: well it's interesting that's the history
1: the history of the internet the history of america that's one of the places that we started from to just to say the the what the wired ideology, which it very much came out, as you said, came out of that. You know, America has won. Liberalism is the is the end of history. You know, we are all going to have representative democracy and free markets, and then we'll all be everything will be wonderful.
0: Well, you know, uh, your essay, I, I, it's wonderful in the way that you pull from these sort of. Uh, this sort of American mythology as you compare the rogue sort of hacker to, yeah. you know, the sort of lone cowboy sort of aesthetic, you know, the uh, libertarian individualist that has sort of struck a, a deal with the system as the as like uh, he just has to they just have to pursue their own sort of individualistic pursuits in order to achieve any sort of happiness or prosperity. They've just bought into the system and they and, and, and the way that you. And the they,
1: they're they're denial that they're living in a, a society. I mean, that's right. the the curious thing. It's always been about about certainly the the late the last. 100 years or so, of, of, of a classical-type liberal, neoliberal, is the denial that you're in a society. I mean, if you think of the liberalism of hey, Jefferson, for instance, they would have seen themselves, yes, as individual property owners, or earning, owning his slave plantation and 400 people, but they would also have seen themselves as citizens of a republic. They were both bourgeois et citoyennes, as they would say, Marx would have said in the critique of mm-hmm. Hegel's philosophy at right. And that bit, the the the, the concept of citizen. Is interesting that that sort of disappeared, I think partly because it was seen as socialist, communist or during particularly during the Cold War. It's dangerous, this idea that anybody forms into collectives like parties and trade unions and cooperatives and community groups. Um, So I think that's partly why, you know, if you look at someone like Friedrich Hayek, you know, he says, you know, Margaret Thatcher famously paraphrased the Constitution of Liberty. There's no such thing as society, only individuals and their family. Mm -hmm. And I think that that view is very much tied with wired and the people around it. Or, I mean, the other interesting is the way that people like Howard Rheingold, who wrote The Virtual Community, actually you'll see the internet as a substitute for what neoliberalism has created. You know, everybody's atomized in their in their suburb suburban house and they're all just driving individually to the office and they all don't know anybody. No, they don't know their neighbors and they don't know their workmates, And somehow in the well you will find that lost community of, of America of the past and pre and suburban America.
0: Right you know um so you so you pull from this uh so you know i think of you know going back to the lone hacker thing around this time there's like what there's the movie oh, yeah. hackers there's like Johnny uh, Kevin M-
1: Lichnick, who was there uh, who was the great hero at the time of uh, hacking into various things. yeah yeah and cyberpunk and cyberpunk, of
0: course, and, cyberpunk you know. and uh johnny mnemonic i want to say as well and then that character was kind of like you know, I feel like it was almost the same character Keanu Reeves did all the way up into in the Matrix. In a way, it's like it's a very oh, similar. Yeah, yeah. Sort they of ripped thing, right? they've shamelessly ripped off. Yeah, everybody from Baudrillard yeah. to Gibson. It's totally, totally. And I just, you know, like I just. I'm, I'm, what's I'm, interesting
1: I'm, is they, they've never, they, the, the, they've never, they've never made have only made one good film. I mean, they've they, made... Really it's it's really interesting how sometimes filmmakers are like musicians. They have one hit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That,
1: that I cause I tried to watch the Matrix, the other Matrixes, and they were dreadful. They were mm. they so I you think you I sat there watching the what's it, Matrix? You know, it's like, how can you have made the first film so well and then the second film so badly? Right. And then so right. and then somebody many years later sent me this piece about they were also out of their heads on drugs having made money. And and their weirds, and you know, their all their voyage of sexual discoveries. That so they the films were just completely secondary by that point. Mm, mm. It had lots of money to just blow on special effects. So it's very that's like, but that's you know, that's an interesting thing where you can melange lots of things together. And it, it it's, the one great thing I love about that movie, and it goes back to the Californian ideology, is that they picked up on this thing from their their course at UCLA where they were taught Bowdrow, where he says postmodernism is a perpetual present. And they say, what is the perpetual presence? It's 1999. It's that moment of the, the peak of the empire.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: As we go further and further away, 1999 is more and more perfect. That's the fantasy that we're still there.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, I just, I, I think about, like, I mean, this was not a happy time for Marxists, though, man. I mean, all this optimism was, I think, shared by liberals, but for, for the, for the Marxists, well, right? Well, I
1: think... You were a bit young to remember the Cold War, you see. I well, mean, sure. I grew up, you know, I, when I was at university, we used to buy speed off these US Air Force pilots uh, who were based in East Anglia, um, and, and, which was very good, because we were punk rockers and you needed to jump up uh-huh. and down to uh-huh. the music. Uh, and then we realised that they were flying above us with nuclear weapons, all this stuff because they had to stay awake like you know for 24 hours and they were doing like wing tip to wingtip tip tip uh, patrols <laughs> so they go get the to and you suddenly realize that they might, one of them might just sort of miss the the the, the air uh, the 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 runway and go off the end and blow up most of East Anglia in the process right. you know wow so so there was all that great relief. I mean, also, you know, you've got, you know, some drunken Russian might do the same thing accidentally sure. <laughs> start World War Three. So there was this. I mean, I will say on the left, there was this sort of great relief on one level that the just because the Cold War was over. And I was working with people like Solidarnosc in the 1980s. The lefties all got shafted after 1989. Um but um, so there was that, you know, there was that moment of hope also on the left that it wouldn't actually just lead to neoliberalism and disaster capitalism, which is what it did do, um, obviously. Uh, and I've been to the Soviet Union in 87, I think it was, yeah, 87. Because uh, I worked one of these Polish comrades. She went back uh, after it was after. the, So she was over here immediately after the coup when they had the coup against Solidarno's. And then three, three years later, in 84, she went back to see her parents and friends. And they didn't touch her, even though they knew she was uh, active in the exile, mo- exile group here. Uh, and she, I remember her, when she returned, she said to me, it's all over. She said, no one believes that Stalinism can continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's joining the party. There's a youth movement that is non-existent. Uh, and it will eventually collapse. And once Poland goes, the whole system will come down. And she was right. That's one of the reasons we went there in '87 because I got paid off from this job, and I thought i better go there before it disappears. <laughs> yeah. I was. And well, uh, we went there, and it was you could you could sort of smell that it was in a really severe problem because it was. What was funny about the Soviet Union is it was like it, it obviously had a very good Second World War, and it that the the paradigm has been very successful in rebuilding after the Second World War up to the like '60s. But then he got stuck. It didn't know how to make that transition, which is what the Chinese learned from. Of course, they mm. didn't, they, they took they took the warning <laughs> right. and successfully managed to come out the other end of it. But it was I remember this took this guy who was like you know we just talking to tour guys and people like that because you couldn't really talk to the ordinary people. And this guy said, "We don't need Perestroika. That's reconstruction." He said, "What well, <clears throat> destruction?"
0: Mm, you think, well,
1: that's, mm, yeah, that's yeah. a bad sign. <laughs> that's what the tour
0: guys are telling the tourists. So uh, speaking about the, the USSR, think so To go back to though, the, I, the left, I, I just yeah. want to go through.
1: Let's circle back to the California. Sure, so in a way, what we were looking at, or we were trying to say, is that the baby had been thrown out by the with the bathwater in a way. Because yeah. it was, you know, to partly to say, look, even America is social democratic to a certain extent. I mean, you know, okay, they came out of the Cold War, but a lot of it comes also out of the New Deal. Um, So, uh, and also that the way that the New Left, I mean, Wired was right in the sense that it it appealed to that, you know, its psychedelic style and all the rest of it, and the fact it had Howard Rheingold on board, um, and most of its editors seem to have taken acid at some point. Uh, But they, they, they would they. there there was something out of that cult, their generation, which they themselves were not particularly into, but the whole new left experience, which definitely did impact into the Internet and also into the culture in general. You know, you know, women's rights, lesbian, gay rights. You know, this idea that we could we could look at different communities and try and unite the class over (laughs) its prejudices, overcome its prejudices, that definitely was. and, And the idea of do it yourself. You know, which I think is really important. No, don't rely on the bureaucrats to set it all up for you. You have to get it. So there was all that positive side. So we wanted to say those two things. And then at the end, we pointed out that actually the Internet wasn't the first mass packet switching network. It was actually Minitel in France, Mm. which was, you know, a government scheme, basically. Uh, And I'd used it in when I was visiting there in the mid 80s. And I actually booked a train ticket in 1985 on tail, which wow. was a long time. Yeah, we, we couldn't pay online, but you could book it and turn yeah. up. And If you arrived, you know, 20 minutes early, you, they wouldn't sell it on. Wow.
0: So, so, look, so that was me, quite impressive. I was,
1: I was so impressed. I thought this was the future, you know.
0: It. Right, right, right. I mean, so you asked the question in your essay, and I'll quote you here, where it's like, who would have thought 30 years after the battle for people's parks, squares and hippies yeah. would together create the Californian ideology, and then a little bit further, you point to like a failure of renewal of the radical hippies as the reason why like squares and hippies even came together to form this ideology.
1: Well, I, when I was okay. doing my PhD, I spent a summer in nineteen eighty-one in the Bay Area before you were born. Right? Yes, yeah. So yeah. I was, I, and, so I had some friends living there, and I went basically to sit in U C P library basically for the summer. And I met quite a lot of people there who, who were really interesting. Uh, one of whom was this woman who'd been at uh, San Francisco University, and she'd be involved in anti-Vietnam war invasion you know, uh, protests. And Ronald Reagan had sent the tanks in against them, literally tanks. Mm. Uh, yeah to crush the sea, so that that you know and then I met other people I met this guy who would taken acid with Steve Jobs and he was telling me about their peer group and how some of them had gone off to Silicon Valley and made lots of money and you know we're now taking you know mountains of cocaine and had those you know, large cars and yachts and all the rest of it and then the rest of them were all actually not, had, had become like school teachers and welfare workers, and that had been their response. Actually, from hippydom, actually was to do to go down that road, um, and I, he just said it was a really amazing that sort of divergence. So actually, that I did learn from that how how actually those people who went into Silicon Valley were actually quite a small minority. I think of that group. And also the way that what i also found was quite interesting is how people have gone through everything you know they've done you know free love and hippie communes and uh straight you know strange religions and you know maoist sex and everything and they just sort of drifted between them all and going getting falling in with the sort of whole earth catalog you know well Wired type people was the yeah. sort of that that they're only one section. I mean, Fr- Fred Turner wrote a really good book about from you know, from counterculture to cyberculture, you know, about this new what he calls the new communists, who are the non, and so definitely definitely not socialist part of that that generation, you know, uh, and who are really the key group behind the whole wired phenomenon, uh, and you know, global business network and all the rest of them, as but. But of course, well, I—it's much more, you know. As is just a short article, and we were just doing a very broad, broad, uh, you know, analysis mainly for Europeans, of course. Sure. Uh, and so we just generally called them the new left. Where actually, of course, as he points out, the, that particular group would not have really seen themselves as left. And you know, I met people like John Perry Barlow later on, and he definitely was on the left. I mean, he was a Wyoming rancher. He was Dick Cheney's campaign manager for the Senate. The hell, man!
0: Yeah, <laughs> dude. Um, so, but, but originally
1: he did say that he no one should let Dick Cheney near any power whatsoever. But I said, yeah, I'm no. Sure.
0: Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I I just wonder, like, I mean, the hippies and the squares came together, but like. You point to the reason, one of the reasons, I guess, of the hippies and squares even being able to come together is like a failure of renewal of the sort of anti-war movement or the the, the hippies yeah. at that point, right? And um, and, well, and I, I mean, think I, the,
1: I think that what we didn't play, I mean, the way that the new left divorced itself from the rest of the left, so they looked down on trade unionists, for instance. Right. Right and the, and then the usual problem we have the same problem with the labor party here is you know do you work within the democratic party or do you work against the democratic right, party right, right you know it's what if you have first past the post electoral system i mean and you've also got your appalling constitution to deal with
0: <laughs> yes we do <laughs> the slave yeah. owners constitution it's awful yeah, which, yeah. It,
1: which as as they wrote in wrote in the federalist papers is designed to stop any democracy working even if you give votes to lots of people <laughs> <laughs> it's that they're quite open about
0: it. <laughs> so, but your essay got me thinking really deeply about technological determinism, and mm. and and it seems like the people who were on the forefront of this, who felt like they were building a sort of new America, it seemed like they were also it seemed like they felt they were constructing the scaffolding of a new sort of direct democracy, yeah. and and so like the direct democracy I've read about now. Is more entwined with modern technology so I'm wondering what is what a direct democracy being built appear as at think, this time
1: I think you have to understand that they that what they one in I think I think it's even in the first edition of what it said patron saint Marshall McLuhan right right so a few years earlier I've been teaching communication studies at one of some London one of you, London College of Printing as it then was called and and I put it on, I was teaching this course based on my first book, Media Freedom, and I, I had one session on McLuhan, right? Oh, and, and this student came back to me and said, there are no Marshall McLuhan books in the library. Yeah. And I went, that's amazing. I, I like. I just went, wow. wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they had like yeah. Baudrillard, who shamelessly stole from Marshall, and lots of other French people. who have got McLuhanism. Yeah. So they were, you know, so they have this idea, which is... Which is absolutely central. Which is this, you know, concept that you know, it's not just me; it's not just technological determinism. It's media technological determinism, the self-expansion as capital as fixed capital in the form of the convergence of media, telecommunications, and computing into the nets, basically. And McLuhan got this really early on. I mean, I wrote another book which you might be interested in, called yeah. "Imaginary Futures." You know, cool I'm thinking machines of the global village and it's uh very much looking at the origins of this uh i I did a lot of research into i mean i was just curious about the the internet about why they spent so much money developing the internet because the 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 usual story that you know in the katie whatever helper whatever it's called uh wizards stay up at night i'm trying to think what it was called uh is that you know it's it's designed as a communication system that will survive a nuclear war and that just seemed to me ridiculous because you wouldn't replace cheap reliable switches with lot expensive flaky mainframes. (laughs) it was obviously a fairy story so the question is why and then by digging backwards i discovered that actually they got very frightened because there was this group of people in the soviet union the cybernetic communists who thought they could basically solve the problems of stalinism by replacing the market with a computer and in you know square brackets, the state, the state, yeah. or, the, or the you know the the vanguard. Party. But there was
0: also there was also yeah. so, in the 70s that with that too. Them.
1: Yeah, they, that scared right. the Americans, and they had, and so they 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 then start you know there'd been a bomber gap and a missile gap, and then they said, oh, there's a cybernetics gap, so we've got to pump all this money into ARPA to make the internet. Are, are because you telling me the were,
0: internet was born out of anti-communism? Like... oh no, yeah
1: definitely <laughs> uh, okay it's the america it's the american road to communism actually in a very bizarre
0: way. <laughs> right 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 it's uh well you know i,
1: I made this joke once at a uh, uh which became another essay called cyber communist man cyber com which is you know the americans invented the only working model of- or u.s military invented the only working model of communism in human history it's called the internet <laughs> uh but that but that's so that was very much that so all this money went in, and they had to think they needed another theory other than the sort of vulgar Marxism or Stalinist or whatever you. So they had so, and they discovered Marshall McLuhan. And Marshall McLuhan had this theory. So in 1964, in the American Cybernetics Society, had this meeting, and they had this guy called John F. Ford from Georgetown University, who's obviously, if he's at Georgetown, connected with the CIA. Uh, saying, you know, we are, the, the, you know, we've got to com- com, you know com- help this competition to to get to the internet first, and then McLuhan comes along and said, basically, said I've got the theory. You know, we've got the theory. We had, we had. You know it was oral culture, then there was printing, printing, you know capitalism, nationalism, individualism. and then the next stage is the global village, which is the tribal drum. And the global village he means literally, it's global, as in all everybody everywhere becomes America. and it's a village. it reinvents the intimacy of the village. And so that the the prediction of you know the virtual community many years later. Is in that particular book, or, you know, understanding media and all the lectures he gives around that period. And then, of course, he gives that paradigm that you can now say, well, you know, one of the problems in the 1960s is you, you know, you could say America is a very developed version, a very advanced version of the old society of capitalism, whereas the Soviet Union is a sort of, you know, impoverished version of the next society, which is socialism. And now they could invert it because they could now say, "Well, we have, we have another stage called the global village, and actually, America is be, is ahead. It's like nearer to the. It owns the future, basically, unlike the Soviet Union. And this was really important in the Cold War then, wow. to actually say, if you owe time, you control space. And you can. And it's interesting if you look now with the whole competition with China, you can see that,
0: you know, right. the way also... that. Wonder... Uh, you know, there's
1: suddenly that China looks like the future in a way that America doesn't. You know, they just show pictures of, you know, the underground in, <laughs> yeah. cities mm. in New York or, you know, anything like, you know, and talk about how, how they can't use 5G phones or, oh, my God, look, they're still using cash and checks. <laughs>
0: right. You well, know, that
1: sort of thing, And it's very much that sort of thing that America, because, again, you have to understand America was much more advanced than the rest of the world. Um you know, I lived there as a child, when I was like six, seven. My mother remembers, you know, fridges were three times as big and they had colored televisions and you know everything was sure. bigger and better right. than Europe. People were like two or three times richer than Europeans. So well, that again, the Californian ideology is coasting off that and the sort of affirmation that that particular society having won the Cold War is the only version of the future. I mean, Margaret Thatcher said there, there is no alternative.
0: Well, it also, it brings up like we've had some discussions on the show about uh, the theorist or the French architect Paul Virilio. Um, and oh know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the way know, they
1: can't tell the difference between speed and velocity.
0: Speed, yeah, speed and politics. And the um, the uh, you know French the thing that you bring up for me is like you know the concept of the absolute weapon and 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 um, air domination and how he characterizes like the last hundred fifty years as, like a quest for like air dominance. And yeah. um, and it makes me think of the internet. As to, like, air dominance is like, if, if the quest out of the Cold War was developed develop the absolute weapon, perhaps we could characterize the internet mm. and that technology is like the absolute phone or something, that Virilio uh, kind of character. But but I just mean to say, like, that's really... Uh, well, I, he, I had not Virilio thought about it. Virilio
1: is very, very influenced by McLuhan. Like lots, wow, McLuhan okay, was, okay. Was a lot of French postmodernists, so which he's sort of a member of, were influenced by this. Because it gave... You know, again, we're going back to the hippie generation. Obviously, one of the key things they were involved with was activism around culture yeah. and therefore new technologies, whether it's like video or community radio or rock music, it doesn't really, you know, uh, alternative films, all these things become, be, become connected with. McLuhan, because McLuhan would say, well, actually what you're doing is you're pioneering the new society, the global village. And of course, the great thing about him, he was a sort of Catholic, middle-aged, English literature professor in Canada. So he has that sort of suitably tweedy look, as they would say at the time. And he's basically bigging up the most wild hippie fantasies about happenings as the future.
0: And it's interesting to me because you, uh, where you talk about how you know, there are disparate groups of like libertarian individualists and radical hippies, but they're they're you know their shared common belief in like technological determinism creates a sort of split there. Yeah. Whereas like some of them embrace uh, and you it. don't
1: need mass but, collective action, that's the key thing. You don't need the general strike or you know, a sure. stunning election victory or Yeah, it definitely has direction. A- what you what you need is to basically rely on the technology uh, just appropriating the technology coming out of corporate capitalism and reconfiguring it—bricolage, as, as Roland Barthes would say, yeah—and right. you, and you just reappropriate it—and and also the fact that its inner meaning is actually libertari- lib- you know, liberating, emancipatory, uh, even though it's produced by these institutions that you don't like. I'm, so I'm, you can see why the—you know—the—the—the the, the, the empire would promote it in a way
0: yeah i you know i'm dying to ask you actually what you think about um you know that you mentioned how the was the machines uh, have become the machines of dominance in your essay and i just wanted to like what do you think about this chat gbt out here writing poetry and creating art while we're still toiling oh, yeah, for, yeah. for wages well man. i'm
1: sure i'm sure this is, i'm sure when they need, need the next little round of ipos they'll all be ai won't they
0: Oh God! I, I don't, think, I don't think that
1: that's actually really. I mean, it's interesting. I I, I kept thinking oh, it was great. It's fi- finally, if it it breaks the tyranny of having to mark essays, it will liberate <laughs> teachers all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> if if they all, you know, because everyone just writes the same standard essay, and if you could just get the computer to slightly slightly alter it so it would get past all the all the plagiarism software, you, it would basically force the, it would force them to go back to the sort of medieval technique of actually quizzing people oh, about yeah. whether they actually really know something yeah it would destroy the mass mass production
0: uh, Fordist reorganization of our (laughs) education overnight (laughs) so so when you talk about these uh these disparate groups and and like some of them embrace like scientific progress as a sort of like unfolding naturalism but you know some of them actually like this sort of vision of ecotopia or this sort of utopia yeah. could only be achieved by turning away from technology towards a sort of naturalism. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could maybe speak to like those hippies that, because that concept of like rejecting the modern and, and instead pursuing what one sees as more naturalist ends. Um, in, but I think but-
1: but yeah. isn't the well? But isn't that sort of uh, you know the people around Wired? They were interested because they tried to do both. So they're originally
0: the whole Earth catalog. They were originally beautiful. the whole Earth catalog. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: You know, we it's got, the, it's got the, that famous picture taken from the moon of Earth. Okay. We're all one Earth, man. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. And then and then it has inside. It was like a Sears and Robert catalog for nineteenth century. You know, Western pioneers, because they've got all the stuff inside you need for your hippie commune. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all this old technology as well, you know, sort of. Wow, and man. And wow. that's where, And then they became, through various iterations, the well, which then become wired. So they can be both. That's what I think is really interesting. They could be sort of whole food, natural, you know. And they can also be corporate high tech at the same time. And in a way, of course, the whole catalog is a sort of consumer catalog, even though it's a sort of lifestyle. And again, I think I think the thing we probably think about in retrospect is what it's not, which is it's not Fred Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. all or or, you know, it's, it's not it's not anybody trying to actually create radical social change within America. It's it's an individualist or small group of people, dropping out or making making it within the system. So this idea that you could have, I know, a mass party, change it. Well, that all went out the window. You think up to the 1960s, you know, the idea was to somehow get rid of the Dixiecrats and the Democratic Party and turn it into a European Workers Party, the Social Democratic Party. I mean, since the Bernie movement was very much carrying on that idea. Michael Harrington being rediscovered. Um, Not sure how realistic it is Given that they all went and recently voted for an imperialist war in Europe, um, I don't know. But uh, you know, there was that vision around the sixties, and you know, the trade getting, you know, getting the trade union away, moving away from all these corrupt bureaucrats, and trying to, inc- uh, and obviously the struggle for democracy. I mean, you know, America only became a democracy in nineteen sixty-five, which is mm. very, very recent, um, and you know, constitutional reform or all the rest of it. That all went out the window, and it, it became this lifestyle politics right Um, Uh, save the the whale not save the people
0: (laughs) yeah right Uh, I've got anything
1: against whales but it's just it's just interesting what you put your energy into
0: (laughs) so i mean you in this it's remarkable to go back and read this and to see the year that it was published and how accurate it is with its uh predictions and um And I wonder if, like... Well, well, I think
1: we weren't weren't half enough, were we? I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, it's wild. I mean, mean, really, you know, we could have said a lot more about the military purpose of the net, you know, because it was obvious at the time that about the whole stuff about surveillance, for instance, which is now a big issue. Right, right. You know, it was developed. It it came out of the military-industrial complex, okay? It went via the universities. But it's 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 part of that Cold War struggle and they are, you know and I, I mean I was think I did when I was uh, high school as you would call it um, I did history in my last two years at uh, uh, high school secondary school mm-hmm. uh, where we do this thing uh, example on an A level and we, we did um, what's what's which is sort of the Renaissance and Reformation. And what's interesting, you have these incredibly brutal civil war in Europe, like a third of the German population die in it. I mean, it's bad as the 20th century um, over whether people should be Protestants or Catholics. But at the time, it was incredibly vital. But in retrospect, they look almost exactly the same, the two sides. Right. And I kept one of the things I always think about the Cold War is there was this massive difference made between the Soviet Union and the United States of America. But in many ways, they were both industrial civilizations and actually remarkably similar. And so the fact that, you know, the CIA and the KGB or the NSA and the stars, you know, have lots of things much more in common than they have uh, differences between them. Uh, and that's something I think you need, you know, it's something that's worth thinking about. Uh, you know, so if we, we look at something like what, what they're proclaiming that, America is going to become, as you said, direct democracy.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I, the whole
1: constitutional system is based around stopping democracy. I mean, there is that whole, you know, town hall meetings set off the revolution in 1774, 1775. But, you know, by you know, certainly by the time the Constitution is implemented, they have no intention of having direct democracy.
0: Right, <laughs> right.
1: Um, you know, it's got to be... It's, it, and you can see right up to today, you know, to become a federal politician, you need to have lots and lots of money behind you, unless you're a maverick like Bernie. And But he's really unusual, actually, as I said. And even he's pretty compromised. Yeah.
0: Well, well it's interesting how you... Uh... You know how you very sort of uh, clearly delineate how the individualism of this sort of ideology erases the thoughts of the collective about how uh, mm. even like the construction of cyberspace you say has become an integral part of the fragmentation of American society into antagonistic racially determined classes.
1: And um, wasn't that wasn't
0: that. Uh, I mean ultimately, right? <laughs> <like, like, laughs> really,
1: wow. no, yeah, I don't think any, even that we would have thought possible. Uh, well, did
0: you ever see the electronic agora being purchased by a lone individual as well? Because I feel like you know what what part of well, why know, I think your the is a lone
1: individual. I don't know, Musk is a lone individual. He represents I mean, right.
0: I mean, right, there but... is
1: that thing, isn't it? I always love this where they always say it's Putin's war, as if he's the only person who counts in Russia or right. Xi Jinping controls China, you just think, well, yeah. uh, it's you know, these are very large countries with very complex political systems, so, you know, they have to personify. It's partly a, a short set. So Musk is not just him. It's a low, low group of people around him, you know. He's got all that cash for a reason. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, a lot of this stuff, man, is just like you know. As I was reading it, there's just stuff that's happening every day that I'm picking out of it. That's yeah. like, wow, this is just really remarkable. And, um, and you know, maybe it's uh, you know, predictively sort of pessimistic and realist to think that, like, as you're, well, I don't
1: think we were. You see, the thing, the funny thing is that we're, when it came out, it we published it with this art art politics paper called mute in london and then it got picked up by this mailing list called net time which is still going actually and it was a sort of again arts politics very european but had quite a lot of american contributors as well and it it then became like a bible for sort of europeans it, so it, it was seen as anti-american which was actually i found quite shocking because it wasn't written as an anti-american piece at all in fact, actually, we have, we go out of our way to say, you know, there's lots of good things about America. I mean, I wouldn't want to live there, to be honest, but, um, but you know, <laughs> but you know, I have, you know, I have a large you know, vinyl collection, which a, a suicidal percentage is from North America. Um, uh, so it's, you know, I, I think that's something, something weird. It was picked up in that way, uh, and I don't think it is because we tried to end it because we're. To be honest, we were trying to sell our M.A. course you know, to, to postgraduate students. And so we had to say, well, we know we can get the we'll educate the artist engineers, you know, in constructivist style. And they can go out uh, and make the Internet in a better way. Um, yeah. I had people who did the MA, and it's really funny. They, well, one, this guy came up, room came up, and said, "Well, he said all the software you taught me has gone out of date, but I'm still using words like Fordism and gift economy in my job pitches." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I said, "Success." Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, you, you
1: money's worth, mate. <laughs> yeah,
0: I only have a couple more questions for you, but I wanted to ask you if you could maybe speak to the way that you closed your essay and when you say now is the time for the rebirth of the modern. And I wonder. Oh, that was just
1: that. That was just our anti-postmodernist prejudice. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was very fashionable then. It was all part of this sort of, you know, the the end of history is uh, the abandonment of any pretense at Marxism. Or except as except uh, sort of the words they quite like you know being French they they would like the rhetoric but they didn't actually understand it. I you
0: wonder know. if Blurs
1: uh, and uh, Guitar is always my favorite because they use all these phrases and you think they've never read Capital. They actually don't understand what what they just like the jargon. But you know, so sure. They have no idea. They've never read the books.
0: Does basically. Does the work of Mark Fisher hold a special place for you?
1: I've only I, I saw him speak once. I mean, he was he was involved with this uh, CCRU up in yeah. Warwick with Nick Land and Sadie Plant. We went we Andy knew Sadie quite well when she'd been a photographer, and he'd been okay. involved. And we went up to this virtual futures 95 conference and we wrote out this in homage of situationism, basic banalities. Uh, basically, slightly taking the piss out of their techno utopianism and Deleuze-Guattari fetish, and, I, I, and there was this great something about uh, uh, later. Someone wrote this report about it, and then they said, "And these Marxists ruined the place by sticking up their their manifesto on the wall." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like everything we said about Deleuze-Guattari, actually turned out to be. True, really true case of Nick Land, who turned into a strange reactionary of some kind. Yeah. It's, and, it, and it's equally unreadable. I mean, it's it's funny because, uh, again, I'm the generation where, okay, they were the hippie generation, as an old punk we used to say, never trust a hippie. Yeah. But, and I was involved in the 1980s in uh, community radio, and there was a big free radio movement in the 1980s in uh, France. And Guattari was leader of this uh this one frequence Libre, this station in paris and i went to visit it and it was really sad we said we really wanted a license and they had a license and they had we arrived at this their radio so it completely abandoned apart from one one raster in the basement playing reggae to keep as they would say in french keep the transmitter alight (laughs) right and it completely collapsed because as i know we got talking to this guy and he said the problem is that they they wanted to ideologically vet everybody. See, it shows things don't change on the new left, <laughs> mm. and so you know they have like rappers. He gave this wonderful story. These rappers came in when hip hop sort of took off in Paris, and they came in from the born near the suburbs, the ghettos, so you call them in, in, uh, in America, mm. and they and they were like you know they were black and Arab and. A white, whatever. they were all mixed together, and they come on air, and they just want to do a show, and they they actually wanted to vet all their lyrics before they could appear on air in case they said something that was politically incorrect, rather than just thinking, you know, look, look, you know, this is this is a really important movement to get behind, but. And that just said it all about you know if you believe that in the cultural turn and that you know words words are re- make the real, <laughs> of course what they say is what's important. Was we would have said at, said at the time the message is in the baseline. <laughs> oh man, <yeah. laughs> and I always thought and so that's that's something I think I think that's one of the reasons. It's just a dig at postmodernism.
0: Gotcha. I was just wondering. And, is there and we, like a... and
1: we ended with San Simon, you know, this idea that. That, that people, because we were te- teaching in art college at the time, is that people should be there, you know, to realise that art culture is part... OK, you have to go out and get a job, but you're also got you're part of the wider movement. But you're not, you're not superior or a replacement to the movement, as lots of people think they are. Or you could dismiss it, but you're part of it. And as an artist-engineer, you should... Uh, Help work for the socialist future.
0: Well, I think your, your comments on hippie culture have stuck around for about 30 years now and been incredibly active. Well, I, I, in
1: I'm not original, you know, Mark, that's a Malcolm McLaren, isn't it? <laughs>
0: well, I, well, I wonder, could you maybe speak to like what the fuck happened to hippies now because they're all conspiratorial anti vax naturalists at this oh, yeah, point? And no, I, does any of that. you
1: well, see, I've had long COVID since April 2020. Oh, so, God, I'm so sorry. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, know, it's been really horrible. I, I couldn't read a book for, like, 18 months and this sort of thing.
0: Oh.
1: oh. I mean, it's been really... Yeah, it's been quite... I mean, I can blah, blah quite easily. Sure. But, uh, I became dyslexic, basically, which is a oh. bit worrying. But, I I mean, I'm not going to self-pity, because I've had no, other no. people who've gone semi-blind and cop and all the rest of it. So, yeah, there's other things going on. But, but yeah, that's I find very weird, that whole thing about... Uh, about... Uh, the fear, but that's a lot of it. It's the fear of the collective, isn't it? Again,
0: yeah, yeah. You
1: want a good reason in America to be very dubious about so Big Pharma. I've I've spent Project the last like <laughs>
0: ten years living in Woodstock, New York, with all the remnants of the hippies from '69. You know, and um, it, it was very surprising to me to see that these same activists who uh, will prohibit and you know picket to prohibit a McDonald's from being placed sure. in there, right? they will also pick it to prohibit a stoplight or a cell tower from being erected there. Right. So like it's, there's still shoddy coverage. It's up in the mountains in Woodstock. Right. But those yeah. same people that, that protest for that are the same people that are talking to you about 5g. Are the oh, same yeah, people yeah, that are, funny, are, who are telling waitresses that they're going to get breast cancer because they're wearing a smartwatch. And, um, and you know, and they're the same people well, that- who, who are anti-vaxxers I, I, and and a lot of them are like kind of affluent liberals as well, you know. so because
1: yeah, they're in that, they're in that bubble, aren't they? It's, it's interesting because I saw this. Because uh, when I was ill, I was watching lots of YouTube documentaries, and this person's in rural Tibet and was pointing out that she had better cell phone, as you would call it, coverage than she had in New York.
0: <laughs> wow, wow. She
1: said, she said, look, they can get five G in this. <laughs> She said, yeah. "I can't even get it in New York, you know, <laughs> or Silicon Valley." She said, "Actually, the five G coverage is better than it was in Silicon Valley, or something like." But, it, but she she was from New York. But I thought it was really funny. say, uh, you know, the planner state, you know, yeah. Really, really. Well, we're, not going to, we're not going to defend the CPC, but on the other hand, you know, on certain things like, yeah, they managed to save millions of lives through the lockdown policy. Well,
0: it, you're and then if really... you try
1: to defend it, people go, oh, no, you're in favor of totalitarianism. And I'm going, well, yeah, you know, I've had this horrible disease for, for three years. And I think maybe sitting in the lockdown occasionally is probably quite. Until, be, yeah. until, until, it, until it mutated into a more benign form. Yeah. Among the barbarians. Actually, I saw this great interview with the guy who encu- who actually persuaded uh, the, the CPC leadership to lock down. And he basically said, We're waiting until it mutates, till it's, it's more or less, you know, it's obviously still going to be harmful to some people, but much less, you know, dangerous. So and I thought, Yeah, what he means is mutate among the barbarians outside the wall. Yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> it's exactly, a very shiny yeah. way of
0: looking at the world, yeah. I thought. Well, I, I, have, I have to tell you, man, that like on, on this show, we've talked about like the kind of hippie slash conspiracy crossover and where those two cultures merge. Oh yeah, I think they and, uh, I think
1: it's a lack of if you if you don't have class politics, yes. it's really easy to fall into conspiracy because you haven't got another way of looking at the world. And one of the things they've very successfully done is is break up the left. You know, you know, they've either co opted it you know they literally mm-hmm. buy it out i mean look at you know the german greens who started off as an anti-war anti-nukes party and anti-coal mines and now they're pro-war pro uh, what keeping open nuclear power stations and opening coal mines you know yeah. so that, yeah. and that's because they've been bought basically by by the americans uh, and the other thing is, is you say it's it's like this it's it's interesting how the, the empire buys the left it buys its own opposition and uh, I said, you know, I, I have personal experience here because my father was uh, a running dog of American imperialism. Right, but it's right. amazing how it how systematic it is, because they, it's just and the way that, you know, now supposedly, you know, of course, <clears throat> Tucker Carlson, it's the left that's in favor of imperialist war and neoliberal austerity.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, so, I mean, I think you're going to say, honestly, like it, it helped shine a lot of clarity on how that sort of... Uh, synthesis could even happen uh because i've spent some time like trying to decipher that on this show and i pointed to one other thing that was very helpful was the the virtual class, as you call them, and how yeah. the virtual class has come to find the uh, the path to self-fulfillment through work itself. And yeah, and yeah, the yeah. sort of, like, spiritual but not religious group in the United States has sort of, you know, grown in, in, in membership, right, to the point where... I,
1: should, uh, I, I wrote a really interesting pamphlet, which I should send to you, called the class, the, New, uh, the class of the New, yeah?
0: yeah. And it's about how
1: how for the last 200 or so years, you always have like a group of people, you know, doing new things in new ways with new technologies. And they're seen, like I said, in in talking about imaginary futures, they're like the future in the present. And it's—I think one of the Bar- Barbara Edenreich call yes. them the professional managerial class. Well, they're not a class; they're a, they're a caste. Actually, I think is right. more accurate. Description. But they are definitely—they're de- that's definitely something that's really appeared. You know, as I said, it's all the way—all those people who voted for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, I mean, I actually had to apologise to a friend of mine who's a. Who told warned me that Biden would be worse than Trump? And I went, "No, nah, no, nah. you know, he can never think of you were." And then I had to write to say, "Oh dear, I admit that you were corrected." <clears throat> oh man! You know, yeah, you know, he is far worse than Trump. Well, That's, he actually started a war in Europe. Right.
0: So, here, so yeah. here's my here's my last question for you, and I wonder this is a little bit of a. You know, I think I'm I'm pulling from your essay stuff that like yeah. is interesting to me, but I but I wonder, yeah. you know, because uh, it seems like the more society becomes secular, like secular, spiritual but not religious, we'll say, you know, uh, yeah. it, and and the non renewal of these sort of hippies at, that form this sort of convergence of the squares and and the libertarian individualist Californian ideology, right? It, it's gotten to this this thing where, like, I I feel like in society the sort of apex of people who are in this ideology, like the apex is like self actualization, self fulfillment, or something like, uh, like the 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 top of Maslow's pyramid or the height of like sort of pursuit of fulfillment mm. is uh, the result is like authenticity, like maybe even like a Heideggerian sort of Dasein authenticity, you know, and <laughs> what, and, what, and in, Invading Russia. <laughs> well, not invading Russia. Right. But like in a in a way, it's like it's I, like I think I
1: think it's a rather unfortunate uh, analogy at the moment, given what's going on in the East.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I but I worry about things like Heidegger sticking around in philosophy, you know, and I think that it was a natural turn in his Philosophy to a degree that these questions of like who am I turn to like who well, are I we? This, I always
1: remember know. this Slovene comrade saying that he knew things were going wrong in Yugoslavia when the Serbian intellectuals stopped reading Marx and started reading Heidegger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no a, shit, yeah, know.
0: like is it is accelerationism? The, the definition of acceleration yeah. is ha- handing a Jim bro into Jordan Peterson a copy of Being in Time, you know? It's like, uh, it, it's so like, of
1: course Marx is an accelerationist, you know, if you read, especially if you read his, I mean, he's always anti anticipating things which are going to happen in 30 or 40 years I mean, if you read capital it's a really amazing anticipation of factory production taking over the whole of capitalist society but actually in 19th century england britain where he's living uh you know the biggest jobs were things like transport or domestic service and actually the cotton factories which Know Engels was working at and feeding him data from along with the factory inspectors was actually like a bit like Silicon Valley, it was like this sort of cutting edge bit of the economy. Mm. And then he said, Oh, well, look at that, that's actually how it's going to happen. You know, big he anticipated the takeover of big government and big business, which is quite a spectacular piece of prophecy given where he he was living. Um, so that you can do that, I think, do that, but I, I, come back about his California. idol it's just that because of, you know the book the book you know the, the pamphlet is named after this book here uh, the german ideology but right. this is the copy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs>